Welcome to Fringe Edition. My name is Martin and with me is Jimmy. Today we are talking about there is more than one of everything and the one that I should have loaded the pages for but got confused about. It was written by May 12, 2009, which was when it aired, and directed by Brad Anderson, who didn't direct any cartoon characters at all. J.J. Abrams and Carlix Kurtzman were there too. <laughs> she... <laughs> I'm going to keep that in. Oh, no. Well, you act like the fool. You're going to get foolish rewards or some shit. Welcome to Fringe Division. Welcome to Fringe Division, spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the hit TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 19, The Road Not Taken. It aired on the 5th of May 2009. Revenge of the 5th, for Star Wars fans. Written by J.J. Abrams and Alex Kurtzman, it was directed by Fred Toy. Yes. We're covering two episodes this week, but we'll just do it this way because it's easier. It's what we know. Are we, are we not doing separate intros? No, we will later, yeah. Oh, I've done the other intro, it's fine. <laughs> no, it's not fine. <laughs> uh, right. So, Martin, if you remember, since we watched two episodes, uh, what did you think of The Road Not Taken? It's the one where the women go boom. Ah, I thought this episode, you know, you got some episodes that are cold, and this one was hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because a woman explodes. This feels like a much more modern episode than a lot of the earlier ones. It's the season finale two-parter, so they can really just up the ante and bring all the threads together. And uh, it feels much more like the sort of thing you get on Netflix now, which can almost go too far the other way and not have those slower quieter yeah. moments because it's all plot 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 <clears throat> it's technically not a two part finale but we're doing it as a two part finale because it kind of is could have fooled me I know because it ends with a cliffhanger this episode and then you know that's con- it ends with several cliffhangers yeah but the main one I'm thinking about is uh, that random woman with red hair who just suddenly appears out of nowhere and we've never seen her before just gets shot but then Walter disappears off to nowhere. He does. So there's cliffhangers here. And yeah, uh, I like this episode. I also like this episode. Good. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. You did that joke last week. I do that joke all the time. <laughs> I'm constantly doing that joke. It's the one joke I have. The Fringe Division investigates a case of Susan Pratt, a woman who spontaneously combusts in the middle of a busy New York street. The team discovers that the victim is the subject of a ZFT experiment to cultivate 
pyrokinesis. As they investigate, Olivia experiences visions while awake. The first thing I noted while writing notes for this was uh, something happening in New York again. Oh yes, yeah. those commuting times, they're a bitch. And never take a bus or a plane in the Fringe universe. Which one? There's two. Our one. Walter suggests that she's seen a parallel universe which is branched off from her own. Olivia and Peter visit a... Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. No, they don't visit him at all. No. Uh, Olivia and Peter visit an agoraphobic website designer played by Clint Howard, who is apparently aware of William Bell, the drug trials and the coming war, although his credibility comes into question when he believes himself to be a character from the plot of Star Trek. Do you know how you know he's not? He doesn't know how to pronounce Carnunian Singh. Exactly. Because that character wasn't in the episode he was in, Star Trek. Uh, he has been in more episodes of Star Trek than most people and has the record for um, longest time between appearances, having been in one of the first episodes of the original series and the season one finale of Discovery. Yeah, so two episodes. He was also in an episode of Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. I didn't know that. I knew he was in original Star Trek. Yeah, he was a scary baby. He was a scary baby, yes, he was. Yeah, he was. And he's also Ron Howard, brother. God, I bet he loves hearing that. I know. You were the scariest Star Trek baby, weren't you, Ron Howard's brother? <laughs> That's what he hears every day and he hates it. Hates it. This was a subtle promo at the first J.J. Abrams bad robot Star Trek film which came out the week this aired. All right. And when he's saying that Romulan's from the future, that's the plot of that movie. Yeah, that's true. But it's also a setup for um, Spock being in it next week, next episode. <laughs> we can say Spock now, Martin. I don't need to edit it out. I know, I was uh, I was waiting for something to happen and it didn't. You should have a montage here of all the deleted Spock references from earlier in the podcast. I know, fucking nightmare that was, having to cut out all the references to Spock. We can just, because no one's heard it, we can just record new ones. I say Spock, you say, don't say Spock, it's too early to mention Spock. Ready? <laughs> Spock. Right. Don't say Spock. It's too early to mention Spock, Martin. Spock. Don't say Spock, Martin. It's too early. Come on now. Spock? No, not Spock. He's not in it yet, Martin. We can't say it. That was the title of his first book. What, Spock? No, I'm not Spock. And then the second book was I Am Spock. Yes. And then his third book was I'm Not Spock, I Am Scotty. <laughs> it wasn't. That's a Simpsons gag. <laughs> <laughs> and on the weekends are Mahura. <laughs> so, Martin, where are we? Fuck. Okay. <clears throat> They've just talked to Clint Howard. Yeah. Using information from her visions, Olivia tracks down the victim's twin sister. <laughs> like, a long-lost twin sister, really. How convenient. I know. Um, it's almost as though there's more than one of everything, Martin. Like... Twin sister, who only moments before was kidnapped for more ZFT experimentation. Harris is revealed to be responsible for the crimes. My word, what a surprise. What a surprise. And while closing in on him, Olivia gets locked in a room with the twin sister. 
doesn't even give her a name, whose unstable pyrokinetic abilities threaten both their lives. With Olivia's guidance, the woman focuses her energy, her energy on Harris and incinerates him. Hooray! So, bye, Harris. Ultimately, you were fucking pointless. Bye. I quite liked Harris. What? As a baddie. Do you not think that this was very rushed? Well, I like Michael Gaston, and no, 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 I'm not complaining about. I I like I like him as a baddie, and I like the actor, right? But this was exceedingly rushed. He's introduced as a bad guy, and then gets killed like right away. Yeah. No, this was rushed. Yeah. That's that's my complaint about it. Not not the actor and not the performance and not the character. But I'd like I'd like to have seen a new like redemption arc maybe. Yeah. Or even just like a hint of uh, a redemption arc or something and then he still gets incinerated because that was hilarious. Yeah. Olivia finds out that the sisters were part of the same drug trial that she was as a child. She pressures Walter into re- to reveal why he and William Bell were developing super soldiers. But Walter only shares that it was for protection against some impending doom that he regrettably cannot recall. Oh, not again. I know. Olivia phones Harris and that's when she discovers that he's the bad guy. Yeah. Um, I would have put money on him already having Olivia's number on his phone. Oh, that would have been uh, far too convenient for the plot. Exactly, Um, but wouldn't you think that he would have, though? Since you've got an extra five minutes in season one, you could have snuck in a quick, uh, oh, I'm just going to try this other phone so he won't won't recognise my number. Yeah. Or or it could have been good if he did have ID and go, hello, Olivia, and she'd be like, oh, he knew it was me calling. Oh, hi, I'm calling for FBI reasons. Bye. <laughs> right, okay. Meanwhile, Walter reveals that the ZFT manuscript was written by William Bell, and the copy of the manuscript that ZFT uses is missing a chapter dealing with ethics. He locates the original, but the observer shows up and takes Walter away, cryptically stating it's time to go. Walter says Astrid's name, and she's not there to hear it. If Walter gets Astrid's name right and there's no one around to hear it, did he really say it? Yeah, that's true. That's something to think about, isn't it? Something else to think about is Nina Sharp, who visits Broyles to discuss the Observer and is later shot in her hotel by two masked gunmen using a suppressed pistol. Right, so that's the end of that episode. Uh, Before you get to the the facts for this episode, Martin, I'm going to quickly go through everything that I've noted down that I couldn't say. And now for the Jimmy's Notes jingle. Jimmy's Notes! The bits with Olivia fleeting between universes is intriguing and I thought it was very well done. Astrid says, Wow, looks like somebody could have flossed more at someone's corpse. That's my Astrid line of the week. Is it? Yeah. Right, well I wrote, Wow, looks like somebody could have flossed more. What the fuck, Astrid? Um, Later on, it doesn't look like she had much of a social life. And I wrote, what the fuck, Olivia? <laughs> you think there's something wrong with her, then, impli- uh, then implies that being young, attractive and single is not normal. What the fuck, Charlie? You dissected her twin sister yesterday, remember? Blonde girl, about 5'7", really well done, melted fillings. What the fuck, Peter? <gasps> um, 
I think that's all. I think that's all the what the fucks. But everyone got a what the fuck. Hooray! Because that was ridiculous. Saying all that about the poor woman. Peter calls Olivia um, Dunham uh, with no agent or her first name, and that's unusual. He doesn't usually just say Dunham. Uh, the whole scanning the glass thing to play the record and hear that that's bullshit. It was like a horror movie jump scare um, when the agent just. When the agent was shot behind Olivia. Yes. Uh, Olivia says, God damn it. And that's not supposed to be allowed on network TV, but she Uh. says it. Uh, I don't like seeing Walter cry. Uh, Peter puts his hand on Walter's hand in my heart. Uh, There we go. I think that. Yeah, that's it. That's everything. So, you don't have a Walter line of the week then. You've just got an Astrid line of the week. Well, she gets so few. That's my Astrid line of the season. Right, well, my Walter line of the week... I actually do have a Walter line of the week. It's when uh, things are things are melting and Walter says that could have been one of my records. <laughs> um, he's only thinking about his records. He's such a vinyl junkie. He is. So, Martin, hit us with some facts, baby. Well... The clue for The Road Not Taken appeared in a previous episode, Midnight. The clue was a mysterious fire which breaks out in the bottom of the newscast, and additionally, a featured song in one of the club scenes was Burning Up by Lady Tron. Oh, for God's sake. That sounds like a stretch, but fine, fair enough. When examining the woman's charred corpse, Walter Bishop is carrying a slusho cup. Slusho, exclamation mark, is a fictional company created by J.J. Abrams for Cloverfield. That's true, yeah. So, in the late 2000s, there was a thing called viral marketing where Mm. they thought if they didn't tell you something a lot, it would make you buy things. And they put this slusho reference in all the bad robot programs uh, to promote Cloverfield. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, yeah, that would have been a few years before this episode, so it sort of became a running joke that they'd have, you know, slusho pop up. Well, Cloverfield was 2008. And this is 2009. Yeah, so it's not that far off. Mm. It's not as though that we're in 2012 and they're still doing it. Have you seen Cloverfield recently? Not recently, no. I liked it the time I watched it. <laughs> what, the one time? I think I've seen it twice. I've seen it twice. I think it was quite, yeah, it was quite enjoyable, but I've I've not gone back to watch it. I did see the um, the sequel of Ramona Flowers. I've seen I've seen all three quote unquote Cloverfield movies and the Cloverfield paradox, which isn't supposed to be the Cloverfield paradox, but it's called that, is um, pretty crap. And I can see why it went straight to Netflix. Oh dear! Have you seen Overlord? No. Because J.J. Abrams said that that was going to be the next Cloverfield movie. Which would just be the same as 10 Cloverfield Lane and uh, Cloverfield Paradox, where they would make a separate movie and then just slap Cloverfield references in it. Mm-hmm. But Overlord would have been different because it's, you know, it's rated R. Yeah. And maybe that's why they didn't do it, because all the other movies are PG-13, because uh, it's, like, quite gory. But, yeah, I quite like Overlord. Zombies during the Second World War, kind of. Not really zombies, but... Almost zombies. Anyway, do you have any more facts? Um, there were some Star Trek references in the episode. Was there? I think I missed yeah. them. 
Clint Howard's apartment was 1701 and his character was Emmanuel Grayson and Grayson is the surname of Spock's mother in Star that, Trek. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, glyphs. What did the glyphs spell, spell out in this episode? Vision. Vision. Not wonder. Nope. No wonder to be seen. So, the next episode is coming up now. Who wrote and directed this episode, Martin? There's more than one of everything. First broadcast on the 12th of May, 2009. Directed by Brad Anderson, with story by Akiva Goldsman and Brian Burke. Teleplay by Jeff Pinkner and J.H. Wyman. Martin, what did you think of the season one finale? Ah, it was great. It's what we've been hanging in for the whole time, even when the episodes were dull. Yeah, this is the one you just wanted to watch, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you, you didn't want, want to watch the other 19. You just wanted to get here. Well, some of them were okay. Yeah. But others were less essential. Yes. And again, that is due to it being 20 episodes long. But, hey-ho. Now we actually finally know what the fuck Fringe is about. Oh. It's like this was all sort of prologue. Exactly. Fringe is about parallel universes. That's what Fringe is about. They probably should have put that up front. <laughs> it, would have, it wouldn't have seemed as bad if there was only like 10 or 12 episodes. 10 episodes. But then again, we wouldn't have had... We wouldn't have cared as much about the the characters, I don't think. No, exactly. Although there are some episodes in season one where the characters aren't really written in the same way they have been written. So they could have just cut those ones out anyway. Anyway, anyway, anyway. While Nina Sharp recovers from the gunshot sustained in the previous episode... The French team's investigation reveals that the man in white bandages who looks like Dark Man is David Robert Jones. <gasps> I get this reference. Yay! Olivia Dunham and Philip Broyles uh, discuss locating William Bell for questioning whom they believe is behind all the fringe events that have been occurring all season. I don't know about you, Martin, mm. but I knew... Consider, I mean, we knew who it was anyway, but... You could tell that it was Jones the first time you hear his voice. Yeah. And He's got quite a distinct voice. Yes. But they had to put it through voice recognition to find out who it was. Which flashes up all the faces of people it might be as it tries to recognise them. And they got it from CCTV footage, which doesn't record audio usually. Which is probably the weirdest fringe thing that they should have been investigating. Yeah, exactly. There's weirder things they should be investigating than people spontaneously combusting or teenagers getting halved in two. Yeah, how did they get audio from a lift? Exactly. Uh, this show likes to kill teenagers, I've noticed. Yeah, they have it coming. <laughs> and also, the, the poor guy who works at the hotel, why, why kill him? Why not just knock him out? Because they're bad. Yeah. With a capital bah. Meanwhile, Walter Bishop is at a graveyard where he solemnly stares at an unknown gravestone. For a teenager. What? For a teenager. A gra- what, an unknown gravestone for a teenager? Yeah. No, he was younger than that when he died. 1985 minus 1978. Yes. It's 12. 
No, it's not. Seven. <laughs> I didn't carry to five. Um. Anyway, Olivia, Peter Bishop, and Astrid begin searching for Walter. Nina tells Olivia that an energy cell was stolen from her mechanical arm by Jones, and that he was forming a massive dynamic. Formerly, sorry, that he was formerly a massive dynamic employee who had looked up to Belle as a father figure until they had a falling out. When Olivia demands to speak to Belle, Nina explains that she does not know where he is, as Belle has been communicating these past few months strictly electronically. Nina believes Jones is trying to confront Belle and promises Olivia that if she stops Jones, Nina will arrange a meeting between um, her and Belle. So, um, William Bell's travelling, apparently? Yeah, he's been tra- He's on an intergalactic cruise in his office. <laughs> um, there's 12 minutes. 12 minutes before the, the opening credits sequence. Yeah, when that popped up, I was like, oh yeah, we hadn't had that yet, had we? Yeah. Um, and the credits give away the fact it's Box in this episode. Oops. Yeah. It says a special guest appearance by Leonard Nimoy um, as William Bell. And it's like, well, okay. If you had been paying attention, we did hear him in a previous episode. I know, but some people might not put two and two together that that's who it was. But other people still don't read the credits. No, exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah, some people Mm. actually don't read the credits. But it still seems a bit... Because usually for that sort of thing... Because he wasn't credited for his voice. So no. usually for that sort of thing, they would put the credit at the end of the episode. If yeah. they're trying to keep it a surprise. J.J. Abrams trying to keep a plot point a surprise? Never heard of such. <laughs> um, like, Buffy would do that. They would have someone appear at the end of an episode. Someone called Giles. And then they would have... Um... They only did that later after they didn't do it a couple of times and people kicked up. But yeah, it's the sort of thing that uh, if you're trying to do a TV show with such re- revelations, you want to be a bit more subtle about. Yeah, but the Giles thing is different because the other appearances of Giles throughout those seasons were like, not really a surprise. No. But, but the one towards the end of, um, of what was it? Yeah. Uh, where he just appears. That is a surprise, and I'm glad that they didn't put his name in the credits then. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Anyway. On a busy New York street, Jones and his team use the energy cell to open a doorway into a parallel universe and bring a truck As one through. does. As one does, yeah. Just, you know, just a normal day in a New York street. Uh, and again, we're in New York. <laughs> I think it's safe to say, I think we have said it actually in the first episode. But after this season, they no longer film in New York. There's going to be less New York-looking New York <laughs> and, and as the uh, seasons progress. Because they go up to Canada! And the first season they were in New York for Boston. Yeah, I know. But then they always travel to New York. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be less going to New York, I think. You'd think they'd get like a uh, hotel or something rather than nipping back to Boston yeah. all the time. Yeah, just hang about in New York, go and see a show or something. Yeah. Yeah, Walter would love that. You wouldn't want Walter sat behind you at a musical. No, you wouldn't. 
who pulled peony. Apparently they're unsuccessful as Jones complains he used the wrong coordinates. Having previously observed Walter at the graveyard, the observer arrives with Walter at the bishop's beach house and gives Walter a coin telling him to remember uh, what he has to find. Walter's memory is very much determined by the necessity of the plot on any given episode. It really is. Yeah, it becomes that becomes more obvious as we go along. Mm. It's just always like um, Walter doesn't remember something, so he has to remember it for us to learn about it. Stuff is like, yeah. I like the bit with the um, truck numbers not showing anything up, and they're like, "Well, that doesn't exist then." Not, oh, maybe these were fake. Yeah. Walter goes on alone into the house while Olivia and Charlie interview witnesses who saw Jones extract the truck um, from the doorway. I like Charlie's hat in this scene. It looks like he's been watching a Great British Sewing Bee. <laughs> or Peaky Blinder. Yeah. Um, I like his hat. Uh, yeah. But also, I have a question. What happened to the driver of the truck? Um, he was left in the other universe without a truck. But it was the cab of the truck that came through. Yeah, but... Uh... Timey wimey parallel wow No, that that's not how that works, Martin. <laughs> Don't analyse it too closely. There's more of this coming up. Don't you worry. <laughs> they discover that the truck's VIN numbers do not exist, which implies the truck was never made. A further interview with Nina reveals to the French team that the truck is from another universe and that Jones is using the stolen energy cell to travel to that universe. The overall plot of the first season is reasonably solid. It just got quite sidetracked quite often to uh, have, you know, teenagers get killed by popper pads and what have you. Yeah, there's there's some things that get far, uh, get rushed and... These last two episodes didn't really need to get rushed considering we're 20 episodes in. And where we are in the first season, the narrative holds together surprisingly well. Quite often with shows developed by J.J. Abrams, they just go, and one of these, and one of these, and a polar bear, and uh, leave everyone else to sort it out later. Mm -hmm. And as we found out about uh, First Pattern and NZFT... And then the parallel universe. It's all held together remarkably well considering how many moving parts there are. Yeah. I'm I'm not complaining about the finale. I just think that like the Harris reveal, it would have been okay. I would have preferred it if we got it in like the episode before. It would have been better if we'd seen him be a bit more sneaky rather than just being a git. Yeah, exactly. He's just a he was just an arsehole. There wasn't really anything mm. there. To suggest that he was stopping anything, really? I mean... Have you seen Man in the High Castle? No, not yet. Michael Gaston plays a character who seems to be... I've only seen the first two seasons, but... Um, he seems to be quite lovely. And it doesn't quite work for me because he's always such a twat. <laughs> Peter finds Walter and chooses to uh, meet his father alone as he believes Walter is upset from the past several days uh, who wouldn't be um, now at the beach house which just sits there untouched I mean there's a road next to it you can see cars through the window going like driving past so if Walter's illegal 
owner of the house mm-hmm. and he's in St. Clair's mm-hmm. and there's a burst water main, who's responsible? Um, Jesus. Oh. Now at the beach house, Peter and Walter search for and retrieve a device that can seal shut the doorway from into the other universe. Convenience! I like that um, Peter is upset with Olivia but not angry at her. Yeah. And it's like, I know why you did it, but, you know, also, I'm going to go and sort this out now. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, we didn't talk about that. It's uh, kind of refreshing where a lot of shows would have used it to force up the drama. Yeah. Olivia goes into a um, diner while Peter's conveniently in the bathroom and she shouts at Walter for the child. Experimenting on her as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But because this Walter doesn't remember things or this Walter now seems to know that what he's done is wrong... It seems very mean-spirited of Olivia to shout at him. But understandable. As I know, she's perfectly justified in doing it. But, um, but yeah, that's why I don't like seeing Walter cry. That's why I wrote that down. <laughs> but we forgot we didn't mention it because the Wikipedia didn't mention it. But now we have. So there, up yours, Wikipedia. Hooray. Walter explains to Peter that he once lost something very dear to him and that he had to go and bring it back from another, another reality. The device was created to prevent something from following him. Something from following him. Uh, yeah. Wasn't that the gizmo from Sliders? Yeah, exactly. Looks like it. But that, there's a big hint there. If you haven't worked it out, <laughs> Walter lost something dear to him and he had to go into the parallel universe to get a replacement, really. After Jones makes another unsuccessful attempt to open a doorway at a soccer field in Providence. Soccer. (sighs) Olivia searches through old case files related to science and unexplained phenomena. Phenomena. And discovers a geographic connection between the soccer field, the city street and several of their past fringe cases. So, it all comes together, Martin. I really want to do a scene in something where someone is looking at where things happened and putting pins in a map and have all the pins spell out swears. <laughs> yeah. What was this say? C U N Oh. It's been a massive murder spree, twenty dead. Fuck you, Jimmy. <laughs> Why me? Right. I, I did notice that they did the, uh, that camera through the big letters thing that you don't like in this episode, Martin. Yeah, the football pitch. Yeah, the football pitch. Providence. Um, and also, Charlie now knows about another, the other dimension. I guess his clearance level went up. Yeah. No, I think I think they should get Charlie involved more. It's good. Actually, on this rewatch, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't. Yeah. Like, you sort of remember him being more involved than he was, whereas actually he just sort of turned up with the shooty people. Exactly. Olivia and Walter come to the same conclusion that Jones is going to use a site at Raiden Lake to reopen the doorway, uh, the epicentre of these fringe events. That was the lake where they made Mortal Kombat. Raiden Lake, I get you. Olivia, Peter and Walter intercept Jones while he is opening another window and is halfway through it. Peter triggers Walter's device, killing Jones by sealing the doorway. 
He did that Stargate trick. Yeah, but that is that was quite a gnarly death. That was that was a good death yes. for a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I'm sad to see Jones go, but you know, I mean the way the, the way it was getting set up, you could think that Peter wasn't going to make it, and that Olivia was going to f- actually follow Jones into the portal. Yeah. And that's how she gets there. But then she gets there later anyway, so it's kind of sneaky. It yeah. sort of makes you think, oh, that's not going to happen. She's not going to get there, but then she does. At the end of the episode, Walter again goes alone to visit the graveyard. He tearfully observes a gravestone marked Peter Bishop, 1978-1985, suggesting that Walter's legitimate son died. What age would that make him when he died, Martin? Seven. Seven. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Did that just off the top of the head there. That was good. Nina Sharp later calls Olivia and implies to her that she can meet William Bell in Manhattan. On the way to the hotel, she almost gets into a car crash, um, at which point she is transported to a parallel universe. Uh, After no one shows up at the... Well, we don't really know that yet. Uh, After no one shows up at the hotel restaurant... She wasn't transported to the parallel universe in the car crash. Yes, she was. Was she? Yeah. Do you not remember how the first episode of the season two starts? Nope. No. Okay. You'll, you'll, you'll find out. After no one shows up at the hotel restaurant, Olivia leaves as she assumes that she just got stood up. However, when in an elevator to leave the building, Olivia is transported to another location and is directed to an office. While reading a newspaper headline indicating that President Obama was preparing to move into the new White House, she is greeted by William Bell... And she inquires where she is. The final shot pans out of the window, revealing that they are standing inside the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And that is what made me go back and give Fringe another go. Yeah. Um, do you remember... The time? A few weeks ago... <laughs> I'm not singing Michael Jackson. Um, a few weeks ago when uh, you asked if Nina Sharp is supposed to be English? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, well, she sounded English during her phone call with mm-hmm. um, Olivia at the end, and that was quite strange. I don't know if she's supposed to be English or not, actually. I don't know. Anyway. But the random woman on the street who was being asked leading questions definitely was. Yes, she was. Uh, right, so, Martin. Spock. Spock! I don't... I. I get too invested in this, and I didn't write down a line of the week. <laughs> I think I'll go with, when Belly and I were younger men, we regularly ingested large quantities of LSD. Yeah, I'll take William Bell's, I'm William Bell. That's iconic. No, 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 that's not the line. Well, tell it's, me the line, and then I'll say it again. I'm William Bell. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why does he ring a bell when he says his name? That's like <laughs> you saying, Oh, I'm Jimmy Brun! And uh, having a bar of chocolate. Yeah, thank you for going that direction. And not the, the other direction. I'm not crass. No. I'm, I was trying to think of a product that was called Browns. Yeah. <laughs> Brown sauce. Yeah, that was like uh, you going, Oh, I'm Jimmy Brun! And downing a bottle of uh, Daddy's sauce. You right. That's not what I meant. Oh. <laughs> I know that was my dirty mind. That was me. That wasn't you. Mm. Right. So, Martin. Yes. Do you have any fun facts for us? I don't have a bell, which annoys me. That would be fun. Yeah. Do you have any fun facts for us? No. 
Is there no facts at all about this episode? Nah. You haven't found them yet, have you? No. Are you looking for them now? Yeah, because I can't fucking find right, them. Okay. It just says, notes the observer escorts water to the beach house, which is like fucking dirt, and then the cipher says grave. Right, okay. Can I say something possibly controversial? Yes. I think, with hindsight, it was a mistake to cast Lennon Nimoy as William Bell. Why? So, if you look at visual effects in the 90s, you could have model shots for spaceships which would look very realistic but could only do so much. Or you could have CG shots, which could the ships could fly around and do all sorts in all kind of directions, and the camera could fly around, but looked a bit wank. And by casting Leonard Nimoy, you have a iconic actor, but he's not going to be around much. Let me read this. The character of Massive Dynamic founder William Bell was originally meant to be revealed earlier in the first season, but the writers changed their minds as the show progressed. In early April 2009, Entertainment Weekly announced that uh, Leonard Nimoy had been cast as Bell. He and French co-creator J.J. Abrams already had a relationship after working together on Star Trek. Abrams stated in an interview that he called Nimoy and begged him to join French, explaining the show and the character. Nimoy sounded interested but wanted to become more familiar with the show, so Abrams and the other producers sent him as much information as they could about French until Nimoy agreed. This exchange of phone calls in which Nimoy responded with interest when pitched idea was also how Abrams was able to cast him in the Star Trek reboot. Nimoy later explained, When they contacted me about working on Fringe, the same people, the same attitude, the same creativity, the same creative team, it was very enticing. According to Abrams, um, the idea that he will play the mysterious much-referenced William Bell as a frau I know I sound like a goofy fanboy, but I can't help it. Leonard is an icon of the genre and such a wonderful actor. To have him come on board Fringe is a mind-blowing honour. I'd make that if they'd gone with someone else, they could have done more with the character. And whilst I love seeing uh, Leonard Nimoy in this, I think there's now a lot of lost potential in what was built up with the William Bell character. Yes, they should have, they should have cast someone else. I think they should have cast someone. They were just doing it because it's Leonard Nimoy. And I think they should have cast yeah. someone at least round about the same age as John Noble. Not someone who's 20 years John Noble senior, at least. Mm. I haven't looked, but I'm assuming he was. Um, but Walter's supposed to be older than he is. Uh, but I think John Noble was just in his 50s. I would say, given the opportunity... I would, of course, have cast Leonard Nimoy in a New York Minute for any project I was working on if the chance arose. Of course. John Noble was born in 1948. Uh, Nimoy was born in the 30s, I believe. 1931. All right. Right. John Noble was 61. 1931. So yeah. He was fifth, so he was 17 years his senior then. So I was close. Because I think they're supposed to be the same age. Yeah. Um, so they should have cast someone round about the same age, and someone who, <laughs> someone who wasn't retired. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I agree with you. So we we finished with season one, Martin. Well done, us. Yeah. Or did we? 
Dun, dun, dun. I forgot about that fucking episode, Martin. You shouldn't have said anything. Then I, would have... I shouldn't have. <laughs> yes, there's another episode. We'll get to it. But the makers of Fringe don't give a fuck about it, so why should we? But yes, we got to uh, the end of season one. And I'm Martin Lejeune. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Should have warned me. And I'm Jimmy Brown, Bell. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> oh, I've got something. And I'm Jimmy Brown. Cool, let's look out this window. <laughs> We are taking a few weeks off. Well, Hooray. podcast is. We're not. Oh. <laughs> but then we will, Martin. Hooray. Um, the, the podcast is taking a few weeks off. Uh, I'm going to put together a compilation, maybe put some outtakes in there um, whenever I can be bothered editing it, <laughs> and that'll be out. But we'll be back in June with season two. Martin. Wow. Of French. So that's all we have time for. Contact at shiftybench.co.uk. Please send us some emails. We need some emails, folks. And shiftybench.co.uk is the website. Where can people follow you on the internet, Martin? And I'm at the Faldor on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. And I'm going to stop hitting a gin bottle with a hammer. Is that a hammer? Yeah. I've got a doorknob and a fork. <laughs> <laughs>